Good morning. Um, it, it, it really is. I, I agree with Patrick. It's thrilling today, and it's not, not just the weather, but um, the fact that we can be here together as a family, and I can see visitors, welcome visitors, welcome visitors online as well, and members online, uh, that we can see members, that we can see members from long ago who are back, and, and, and we've got several of those here this morning, so uh, just really great to be doing this. We're in the middle, middle, uh, toward the end, actually, of our scriptural formation journey. We started this in January. We're going to go to June. We've been reading through the New Testament together. Uh, we're in the Gospel of John. If you've been able to keep up and read a couple chapters a day with us, then you're almost finished with the Gospel of John. You'll read chapter 21, the last chapter, tomorrow. Uh, if you've not been able to keep up, maybe you're somewhere in between, or maybe you've gotten lost along the way and you haven't started the Gospel of John yet. That's okay, too. Uh, but I am going to try and talk about the Gospel of John in one sermon today. Patrick and I talked about really how impossible uh, that is. But, uh, for instance, if you look at this picture, yeah, that one, uh, this picture, would you buy this house? And, you know, you're thinking, well, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, and it, it's just one picture of one room. By the way, this is my house. Uh, and it is for sale. <laughs> so, quick plug, if you uh, are online or here, if you're interested, come talk to me about it later. It went on the market Friday, uh, and, and we're managing appointments and showings and, and trying to keep it clean. It's cleaner than it's been since we've moved in, or since before we moved in. Um, the reason we're buying is my, my mom is going to move up from Texas and move in with us, and we're looking for a house that, you know, has bedrooms all on one level. So we, we actually like this house and wouldn't move, but, but we're going to. And mom, if you happen to watch this, we're not sacrificing to do that. We want you here with us, all right? For the umpteenth time, it seems like I have to tell her that every time I talk to her on the phone, she's like, are you sure? No, we, we would love for you to move in with us. So, uh, but trying to do the Gospel of John in one sermon, one short lesson, is like trying to buy a house with just looking at one picture. You really can't do it. You can't get to all of it. You can't see all of it, and you need to. And there's, there's things you can imagine. There's big pictures, but um, it's, it's going to be a difficult task. We'll try to do it. One well-known saying that I think fits the Gospel of John is that it is safe enough for a child to paddle in, but it is deep enough for an elephant to swim in. Um, and, and, and so you can take uh, the first chapter of John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. How can both of those things be true at the same time? And yet, that's what John says. He says that because of the word, word, in the Greek, that's translated in English word, is from the Greek word logos. And uh, I met, Tina and I, when we were in Athens, we met this man named George Karlaftis. Here's, oh, okay, this is George Karlaftis. If you're... It, See, I'm kind of an NFL geek, and, and I watched the draft. I didn't get to watch much of it this year. But he went in the first round. This is George Karlaps, he's from Athens, Greece. Uh, he moved here in, like, junior high. He went to Purdue, and Kansas City Chiefs traded up to number 30 in the first round and drafted this court, George Karlaftis from Athens. But that's not the George Karlaftis from Athens that I'm going to tell you about. I'm going to tell you about this George Karlaftis from Athens. All right, this is George Karlaftis and his wife, uh, Allison. We met them there, so the missionaries we support, the, the Jacksons, they're friends, uh, and George and Allison have been working in Athens 
trying to help bring people out of sex trafficking trade. And, and they've started this ministry and started this work. Really, really good people. Uh, George is born and raised in Athens. Uh, Allison from South Carolina. Uh, and they are there working to do that. We got to visit with George. And, and being a Greek, it was great. He kind of gave us some little Bible study. And, and he started talking about the word logos. Uh, the reason I bring him up. And, and Tina, we were actually talking about this last night. I remembered a few things. Tina remembered a few more. And Tina like recorded part of the conversation because it was just so rich coming from him who grows up Greek and, and knows this. But the word is, is really impossible to translate into English because it just has so much involved. There, there is word involved. There is creativity involved in the word logos. There's um, speech. There's reason. All of this and more kind of is brought into the Greek word logos, which the Greeks understand and have a picture of. It's harder for us to do it. But in John chapter 1, when John uses this word, creation happened when John or when God spoke it into existence. Uh, John says that Jesus was there. Genesis says that God separated the light from darkness. And John says that Jesus separated light from darkness when he comes on this earth and begins to live it out and teach. So the reader's left with a mystery, but John speaks to that mystery plainly in chapter 1, verses 17 through 18, when he says, For the law was given through Moses, but God's unfailing love and faithfulness came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God but the unique one, who is himself God, is near to the Father's heart, and he has revealed God to us. This is New Living Translation. Uh, you can count on it. I love it. Uh, other translations will say similar things, but it's the same thing when it says this. The unique one, Jesus, unique. Um, and, and this is pretty deep stuff, deep enough for an elephant to swim in. On the other hand, William Barclay said, the gospel according to St. John is to many people the most precious book in the Bible. It's an amazing book. And then he says, it can be read and loved without any commentary at all. So there's the deep enough for an elephant to swim in, but shallow enough, safe enough for a child to paddle in. It's, you know, many times people hand out just the Gospel of John for people to read, whether they're non-Christians, whether they're new Christians. And so that's one of the unique things. And John is very different than the other three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And so we have a word that says Matthew, Mark, and Luke are synoptic gospels because they include a lot of the same information. And John is not in that same category. We'll talk about that a little bit more. Here's a picture of Chris Hadfield. In 2013, Chris Hadfield uh, spent five months aboard the International Space Station. Chris was an astronaut, engineer, singer, and fighter pilot. He's a Canadian from southern, southern Ontario. In 2013, he would photograph uh, pictures from the International Space Station uh, send them, tweet them down to his followers below and say something about it. So in 2013, he tweeted a picture like this of Syria from a distance. So Syria is actually the top part of this picture, if you know your geography. Uh, but it is the Middle East and Syria is at the top. And in 2013, he said about Syria in the picture, he said, um, it's deceptively calm and beautiful and peaceful from a distance. The close-up reality was much different. This is Syria in 2013. And many of the refugees that the Jacksons and others are working with in Athens, Greece, were because of the war that was going on in Syria during that time and, and, and went on for many years. And maybe in some ways is still 
going on. <clears throat> the close-up reality was very different. But we can look at the Gospel of John like that. From 250 miles up above the earth, you know, big, the big overview of John. Or we can look at it closely when we walk along beside Jesus and listen to what John wrote. The difference in those realities is whether you're talking about God, the Creator, or God in human form, as John says, it's not very different. It's the same picture. In fact, some ways it makes it more clear when we come to understand Jesus in that way. John omits many things that the other Gospels include, all right? Important things, Jesus' birth, his temptation, the Last Supper, uh, praying in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Ascension, and John has no parables either. None. So, uh, very different. Another thing that's different about John, John is the only writer that tells us of the marriage feast at Canaan in Galilee, where he did his first miracle. Only one that tells us about Nicodemus, the Samaritan woman in chapter 4, the raising of Lazarus in chapter 11, and Jesus washing the disciples' feet in chapter 13. And there's some other things too, but John is very different than the others when it comes to this. So my question is, what is your favorite story in John? And maybe more importantly, who is Jesus to you? Because that's what John is telling us. He's giving us his version of that. John wrote from Ephesus, from Ephesus after the destruction of the temple, sometime between the year 85 and 100 AD. Um, I, I, uh, I imagine, see, John has... has gone through this the temple was destroyed in 70 AD many people think he that was kind of his target audience writing to the Jews who are still trying to figure out how do I worship God without the temple here these kind of things those that are getting to know Jesus uh, but I don't believe that I believe John is writing to a broader audience uh, and and many Greeks have become Christians now many Gentiles have become Christians now more so than Jews at this point it's spread across the world we talked about that and when we're talking about some of these other letters to the other cities that was written about. Um, and the Greeks, the Gentiles, they're not as interested in the genealogies like you see in Matthew and you see in Luke. They're interested in different things. And I think John uh, ratifies that, especially in John chapter 2, verse 13 through 22. Um, he says this. No. Uh, oh, sorry. Not John chapter 2. John chapter 1, verse 12. Sorry. Thank you. But to all who believed him, so it's not written to the Jews, it's not written to the Greeks, it's written to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. So I believe that when John writes using this term logos, talking about Jesus being the word, he's writing to everyone. He's writing to Jews, he's writing to Greeks, he's writing to everyone who's accepted Jesus, and he makes that clear. Now, in, as far as the temple, John 2, the reference I was speaking at the wrong time, uh, Jesus clears the temple in John chapter 2, and then he talks about himself being the temple and raising that temple up in three days. So I think, there, I think John is writing to both, the Jews and the Greeks. Um, Barclay also said, John did not see the events of Jesus' life simply as events in time. In other words, John did not write just a historical gospel, but he wrote a spiritual gospel. And, and one of the things that I'll, I'll talk about later is that um, I think John had a lot of time that he lived in his life, and, that, and that's, he had a lot of reflection, and I'll, I'll come back to that later, but that's why he's writing in the way he does. 
All right, so what about Jesus in John's Gospels? We sang a lot of songs in worship about Jesus, and Matt said, hey, I'm going to sing a lot about songs about Jesus, if you think of any. Well, I didn't, it's, the Gospel is about Jesus, John's Gospel especially about Jesus, and, and I'm glad we did that today. But John talks about the humanity of Jesus, talks about Jesus being angry, talks about him being physically tired, hungry, sympathetic, talks about Jesus weeping, and Jesus being thirsty. But you also see the deity of Jesus in John's gospel. So, for example, um, he talks about uh, the deity of Jesus in John's gospel. I've, I've, I've got it. There, here we go. Uh, his pre-existence. So, in these passages, John 8, 58, 12, 41, 17, 5, and 6, 33 and following, John says that Jesus lived before uh, this happened and before he's come to earth. John was, or Jesus was already there. He talks about Jesus' omniscience, his knowing everything, being all-knowing. Talks about that in chapter 4, 5, 6, a couple of places. Also in 11 and chapter 21, his omniscience. And then he also talks about even though he's following God, his Father, he's also acting on his own initiative in chapter 2, 7, 10, and 19. You can't, you can do 30 lessons on John. You can't do it in one 20-minute sermon uh, so we're trying, so if you want to snap a picture of that and read those, or just pay attention as you're reading through John or read it again, but uh, John talks about this throughout. Uh, John had had about 50 years to uh, reflect on these things, and now he's kind of spewing it out for us in his book. All right, uh, what else? Uh, oh, John the author. I talked about John the author. Uh, some people think John was not actually the one who wrote it down, but it is his testimony. I don't care. It doesn't matter. Uh, but about John the person, they said he was turbulent and ambitious. You know in Scripture that he was called one of the, him and James, his brother James, the sons of thunder. He was also talked about as the disciple whom Jesus loved and refers to himself in the Gospel of John as the disciple whom Jesus loved. I think about it. I think of times I've taught Bible classes up at camp or I've worked with youth groups or things, or, or maybe you've had experiences like that, and there's, there's a bunch of kids, and, and maybe there's one that, you know, he's a little mischievous, or he's a little out there, he does a few things, but there's something about him that you just kind of are drawn to, and, and you just have this special feeling in your heart about that person, uh, boy or girl, whoever that is. I wonder if sometimes that's John to Jesus. You know, he had these 12, and, you know, this is one of the sons of thunder. This is one of the ones that wanted to call fire down from heaven on the Samaritan village. And, you know, but yet there's something about him that, were, that just really attracted Jesus to him. And, and John was one of, you know, many times in, in the Gospels other than John, Peter, James, and John are singled out as three that it seemed to be closer to Jesus than the others. We, we see uh, John leaning on Jesus' breast in chapter 13 at the Last Supper. He's the only disciple mentioned at the crucifixion in chapter 19. Uh, he and Peter were headed to the tomb in chapter 20, and it says that John, you know, basically outran Peter. I think Peter's still mad about that, that John said that in public. But, uh, and, then, and then he's one of the ones present at the last resurrection appearance in John chapter 21. You see all this about John. I think the most telling about John especially in his relationship with Jesus, is in chapter 19, uh, verses 25 through 27, that says this. Jesus on the cross, standing near the cross where Jesus' mother 
and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother standing there beside the disciple he loved, he said to her, Dear woman, here is your son. And he said to this disciple, Here is your mother. And from then on, this disciple took her into his home. I don't know that you can have a better testimony for a friendship between Jesus and John than this, where Jesus says, John, I want you to take care of my mother. Yeah, I'm, I'm leaving this earth, I'm dying, and I want you to take care of my mother. That's, that's the relationship about the person, John. What kinds of things did John write about? You know, he taught the crowd. So a lot of the Gospels give all these different parables, all these different paragraphs of Jesus' teaching, and they hit them often. John kind of expounds. He, he has fewer things that he mentions but he talks about them longer, you know, full chapters. And, and it's not that hard. It's not like you're reading War and Peace when you're reading a full chapter. So I actually kind of like the way John writes about these. It seems like you get a clear understanding about it. So, for instance, about prayer. In Matthew and Luke, they both say, ask, and it's going to be given to you. John talks about that, but he talks about it in chapter 14, chapter 15, a couple of places, chapter 16 as well. And then he gives this beautiful prayer of Jesus, all of chapter 17, and you really begin to see what prayer should be and what it's meant to be. Um, he talks about the Holy Spirit. So John uses the Greek word paraclete, which, again, it's hard for us to translate. We translate it helper, comforter, uh, and a few other things. Uh, but that's in John 14 through 16. Those three chapters, Jesus is about to leave the earth. He's about to be crucified. And he spends a, this long discourse talking to his disciples about the whole coming of the Holy Spirit. So we, we hear about that more in John than the other Gospels. John also talks about eternal life throughout the Gospel, over and over again. Too many references to mention. One writer thinks that Matthew and Luke use the word kingdom of God, and John uses the word eternal life, and they kind of use them interchangeably. But we, as the kingdom of God, are going to have eternal life, and John talks about that. John... Um, also talks about the I am sayings in John. He mentions several. Here's about nine uh, references to the, where, John, where Jesus uses the term I am. And he's not just using the term as I am going to do this or I'm doing this. He uses it in a way where it is clearly, that's, our, that's just our phone, our great uh, administrative assistant's going to try to answer it. Uh, somebody, don't they know we're in worship? It's 1130. Um, I need to turn the ringer down on that is what I need to do. Uh, the I am statements. If you had any doubt of what Jesus was saying, all you need to do is to look at what the hearers thought he was saying. And so in John 10, 30 through 33, Jesus says, the father and I are one. Okay, so you might can say, well, okay, you're one in thought, you're one, you know, there's other ways to do that. But, but keep reading. Once again, the people picked up stones to kill him. Jesus said, at my father's direction, I've done many good works. For which one are you going to stone me? They replied, verse 33, we're stoning you not for any good work, but for blasphemy. You, a mere man, claim to be God. So the Jewish hearers that were listening to Jesus, they clearly understood Jesus' claim and that he was claiming to be God in the flesh, God as a human, in human form. John speaks of this oneness in chapter 1, 
John speaks of it in his prayer in chapter 17. Uh, Unity is another emphasis in John, and I absolutely love it. Jesus' prayer in 17, that's, it's all about praying that his followers, his disciples will be united. And I think that's so important. Jesus thought it was so important. It was one of the last things on his mind uh, as he prayed. And I think it should be that important to us as well. Another example of these longer discourses of Jesus is in John chapter 8. Now, in this one, Jesus is very direct with his listeners. He, he tells some of them that they are not his true followers that they do not know God, and that their father is the devil. If you wanted to get people to follow you, would you say, you're not my true followers, you don't know God, and your father is the devil? I don't know that that gained a lot of those people uh, to following Jesus, but, but Jesus was very direct with them because he knew. John chapter 8, verse 31 and 32 says this, To the Jews who had believed in him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teachings, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Real disciples, true disciples, some versions say. uh, Are we true disciples of Jesus? Or are we some of those that he was talking to in John chapter 8, saying, You're not my true disciples? A.W. Tozer preached a sermon, and and he titled it, true disciples of Christ. Uh, And in there, he used one term that he said he called uh, half-disciples. And he said, these are the people, these are the Christians who follow Jesus in, you know, half the ways of their life or most of the ways of their life. And then in many ways of their life, they willfully disobey Jesus. Um, I think sometimes we get confused that that's good enough. Uh, A.W. Tozer says, I don't know what to do with them, but I don't want to be them. And I, I don't think he's, he's not saying that vengefully. He is saying what I believe he's saying and what I think is that when we follow Christ halfway, we're the ones that lose out. It, it's not that uh, it's good enough. It's not that, you know, I'm, 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 I'm doing... If, if we don't follow him 100%, then, then it's, it's to our detriment. We lose out on the benefits. The closer we follow Jesus, the more we get to know him, the more blessed we are. We're not disciples just because of our words. We're not Christians simply because of our actions. In fact, we can uh, have the right words and not be true disciples. We can have the right actions and not be true disciples. We are followers of Jesus because his sacrifice has transformed us, heart and soul, and that transforms our words and our actions. Wrapping up, if, if John, or almost wrapping up, if, if John is writing this, like most people think, late in his life, around 90 AD, so again, between 85 and 100, He's about 90 years old. He's known Jesus for almost 70 years. And he's reflecting on all of that, all of that experience. And he's then writing down the things that are most important to him and what he believed to be most important to Jesus. 
And I think that's what we get when we read the gospel. And so some of these elements of spirituality and understanding come with age and time for reflection. Some of these elements of spirituality and understanding come with age and time for reflection. So it's through the growth of the Holy Spirit that lives within us. And so when we're on that journey, when we're on that transformational journey, uh, that scriptural journey, then we have time for reflection. We have time for growth. And then we need to reflect on what Jesus means to us the way John did. All right, three applications and then we're done. Application number one, here's a good question that I really think uh, deserves a lot of thought. How does our understanding of God get off track when we try to think about who he is apart from Jesus? Okay, a lot of times we try to talk about God. And, and if we're not thinking of Jesus and who he is and God in the flesh and God in human form to give us the exact representation of God, when we think about God without thinking about Jesus, then we may think of the judgment. We may think of, you know, vengeance. We may think of these things that Scripture tells us are a part of God, but it's not the true representation of God unless we include this true representation of him in human form in Jesus because then we get the grace and the forgiveness and the love. Um, and so how does our understanding of God get off track when we, we can't? We can't try to think of our understanding of a God unless we include Jesus. Second application, who is Jesus to you? We're, we're, we, we see who Jesus is to John. What has he done in your life that you will always remember? These are the things that John will always remember. He's old, and yet these are the things that he's treasured. These are things that happened 50, 60 years ago, and he treasures them and he writes them down. What are the things in your life when, when you're old, like me, like John, you're still going to remember the things he did. Was it you, when you were saved, your salvation, whether it was that moment or that time, or, or is it, you know, as Debbie Yonkin, he did something great in your life and you, your cancer is gone? Or was he walking with you in a really difficult time uh, in your life? Um, answers to prayer, provision, times that you had no hope and yet God provided He's done all of those things in my life. My joy, my peace, my hope, it's all wrapped up in that. I think we need to reflect on all the things Jesus has done. The third application I'm going to read from John 7, 17 through 18. Stay with me here. Don't, don't lose this. Anyone who chooses to do the will of God will find out whether my teaching comes from God or whether I speak on my own. Whoever speaks on their own does so to gain personal glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is a man of truth. And there is nothing false about him. So Jesus is saying he's trying to do the will of God. He knows what it is because of that. And then he does it. But there are people who maybe don't seek the will of God and they choose to follow after their own will. And I think when we do that in our lives, sometimes when we forget about God's will and we're more focused on our will. We miss Jesus. We miss him because there's a part there, maybe we're half disciples, but we really miss the complete joy of following Jesus because we're focused on our own will, our own desires. Um, John chapter 8, verse 12 says this. When Jesus uh, spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. If you are seeking after Jesus and you are seeking to know God's will, you, you will find it. It will be made clear to you. Jesus is the light of the world and you, you won't walk in darkness. You'll have the light of life. Uh, but if you're, you're distracted, if you're seeking after your own will at the same time, then, then you could miss something. You could get off track. And, and I think that's a big part of what this is. And I think that's John's reflection after 70 years uh, of knowing Jesus, what he writes down for us. Are we having another song? Praise team can come on back up. One writer, when comparing the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, one writer said, you have to let John be John. You know, don't, he's not going to compare to Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Um, you have to let John be John. And I would say we have to let God be God. Uh, and so we may have some expectations of God, and that may not be how he's choosing to work in our lives. What we need to do is, is open our minds up to something new, to what Jesus may be trying to do, what God may be trying to do in our life, and then follow him in that way.